Hello and welcome back to this week's ACE Oncocast entitled Clinical Management of Advanced Urothelial Cancer. My name is Rob Coleman and I'm a medical oncologist at the University of Sheffield, United Kingdom. Joining me again today is Dr. Deborah Mukherjee from Clemenceau Medical Center, Dubai in the United Arab Emirates and Dr. Ravindran Kandasvaran from the National Cancer Center Singapore in Singapore. Welcome back to both of you. In today's Aishonku cast, our clinical experts will be discussing a clinical case based on a patient with treatment-associated pneumonitis. Our patient is a 74 years old Caucasian woman with a good ECOG performance status of zero. 18 months ago, she presented with a two-month history of intermittent hematuria and had a cystoscopy which showed muscle-invasive transitional cell carcinoma of the bladder which was tested for PD-L1 and was found to be negative both on tumor cells and infiltrating immune cells. She had a CT scan, which showed a bladder lesion invading deeply into muscle, but with no evidence of metastases and was staged as T2B N0 M0. She went on to have a radical cystectomy and her disease was confined to the bladder with no other evidence of disease. She had no neo or post-operative adjuvant treatments and, went, and remained well until six months ago when she developed a cough and exertional dyspnea and a follow-up CT scan showed multiple one-centimeter pulmonary metastases. Her creatinine clearance is good with at 65 mils per minute, full blood count, liver function tests are normal. And she was treated at that time with a combination of cisplatin and gemcitabine with a view to going on to maintenance therapy if she responded. She did achieve a partial remission after four cycles, and was commenced on a Velumab maintenance treatment at the usual dose and schedule. After four cycles of the Velumab, however, she reported increasing breathlessness and dry cough, limiting her to one flight of stairs. And a CT scan showed stable lung metastases, but with new bilateral basal reticular shadowing, and her oxygen saturation on air was only 90%. So clearly there are some concerns about this patient and her respiratory symptoms. And I'd like to ask you both how you would treat this patient. And I'll give you a, a number of options uh, in terms of what you might do with the immune checkpoint inhibitors, but I'm sure there are a lot of additional things that you would want to do as well as um, adjusting the underlying treatment. But perhaps with the immune checkpoint inhibitor, you would just dose reduce and review, or perhaps you would stop the treatment and observe for three weeks or maybe you would want to stop the treatment and commence low-dose uh, prednisolone, or perhaps you're really quite concerned about this patient and would stop treatment, probably admit to the hospital, administer oxygen, and commence high-dose steroids. So Ravi, I'll come to you first. Um, if, if this was your patient, um, what would you do next? Okay, so um, I think this patient was symptomatic, as you mentioned. Um, and with those changes that you describe on the CT scan, I'll be quite worried about um, pneumonitis and some of the sequelae after this. So I'll, I would actually stop the drug, give patient oxygen if she needs it. Um, and that would mean considering admission for the patient as well and starting some intravenous high-dose steroids um, in order to you know, treat the pneumonitis as fast as we can. 
pneumonitis can be extremely debilitating and if not addressed early enough, uh, can unfortunately lead to very dire consequences. So that's probably what I'd do with her at this point in time. And Deborah, how would you approach this yeah, case? I, I absolutely agree. I think I always find myself having to go back to the reference of the grading of, um, of pneumonitis when it's suspected. Um, so this patient is symptomatic and she has low oxygen levels. So if we feel that we need to treat her with supplemental oxygen um, and she has severe symptoms limiting her activities of daily living, this would make her a CTC grade three. So uh, grade one would be asymptomatic. We just see something on the scan. Sometimes we do see grade two would be symptomatic, but um, um, limiting her activities of daily living, but we don't necessarily need oxygen. And a grade three would be this case, which I think from what you've described, she's quite symptomatic and we're considering um, administering oxygen. So um, in this particular case, I absolutely agree with Dr. Ravi that she would need supplemental oxygen. We would need to stop her. Um, immune checkpoint inhibitor and start her on, um, on steroids, intravenous steroids. And in terms of a dose for a grade three pneumonitis, uh, we would usually give between one and two milligrams per kilogram uh, equivalent of um, methylprednisolone uh, with obviously um, gastric ulcer protection and all these other things. Um, but as Dr. Ravi mentioned, this can be very, um, very difficult and these patients can progress quickly uh, if not picked up. So I think that urgent management um, is, is really indicated for this patient. Thank you. And Ravi, could you perhaps um, take a step back and just talk a bit more generally about the adverse event profile you see associated with immune checkpoint inhibitors and does it differ very much from one agent to another? Well, that's a good question, Rob, um, especially since we have so many immune checkpoint inhibitors in the market right now. Um, from my experience, especially looking at those that we use in urothelial carcinoma, um, that includes drugs like pembrolizumab, which is a PD-1 inhibitor, or, or atezolizumab, which is a PDL one inhibitor. And now, of course, we have evolumab, which is a PDL one inhibitor as well. Um, honestly, I don't think I've found, I've found a lot of differences in terms of uh, the toxicity profiles as, uh, you know, most oncologists who have used these drugs uh, often enough would find the very severe, you know, panitis kind of picture where we worry about end organ damage and inflammation in the lung, especially in this patient, pneumonitis or other organs like liver or heart or, or a kidney, um, those events are relatively rare. Um, usually about the, the grade three and above events are fewer than 5% in most studies. And um, my real world experience somewhat mimics what I've read in clinical trials as well. So it's not been uh, a very high number. And uh, amongst them, I guess what I see most are usually endocrinopathies. So um, things like hyper or hypothyroidism that, that I see pretty frequently. Um, some patients do get things like colitis and present with diarrhea. Um, and pneumonitis probably ranks fourth or fifth in that list of uh, potential toxicities uh, from immunotherapies that I mentioned, specifically those used in urothelial carcinoma. Thank you. And, and 
Deborah, you, you mentioned about intervening promptly in this sort of patient, and I guess that raises a question. How do you monitor your patients to pick up adverse events quickly? So I think one of the most important things is patient education. So um, letting them know that these immune checkpoint inhibitors can cause unusual side effects with, um, with onset that's not necessarily immediately subsequent to delivery of treatment. Um, so this is really important that patients, if they notice anything unusual, are telling us uh, quickly whether they have diarrhea or they have shortness of breath or they have a rash or something else is going or fatigue in the case of um, sort of adrenal uh, problems. So um, also to emphasize to the patients that these are rare. So the, the, um, the occurrence of a grade three pneumonitis um, in patients receiving maintenance of Enemab was less than 1%. I think it was 0.3% of the patients on the study. So this particular occurrence is rare, um, but as long as patients are advised to seek medical attention for any unusual symptom, no matter when it's occurring in the cycle, um, I think this is the key. But we wouldn't necessarily be routinely um, doing extra imaging for for pneumonitis unless a patient had symptoms, but I do routinely check for uh, a TSH level, for example, every month on treatment uh, to make, because these uh, subclinical um, thyroiditis or thyroid issues can be, um, can be insidious and that can really have an effect on patient's quality of life. So routinely I would check a, a TSH every month. Um, and imaging, if there's any imaging changes that are unusual, this is something to follow up. Uh, so even if a patient is asymptomatic but is having imaging changes of early pneumonitis, this would be a grade one and I wouldn't necessarily initiate any treatment, but I would follow the patient up and I may do another CT chest in three weeks time to make sure this isn't something that was evolving and follow the patient up closely. Thank you. And Ravi, when you have investigated people for potential pneumonitis, what kind of clinical and radiological features have kind of helped you make that diagnosis? Um, so firstly, I think this particular patient had displayed uh, clinical symptoms. So she had cough, shortness of breath, uh, especially on exertion, walking up the stairs. So with symptoms like that, I would really have a high degree of uh, suspicion that this could be a complication of the immunotherapy. Um, and with that, I would order a CT scan. It can be a high-resolution CT scan or just even a normal CT scan, just like what this patient had, which picked up changes that were suggestive of pneumonitis. Now, changes that are suggestive of pneumonitis has a wide range, um, and it can appear from anything like an organizing pneumonia to a hypersensitivity type of uh, you know, ground glass picture. Uh, so there are a number of different uh, you know, appearances that radiologists has, have described. So it's pretty much non-specific. So you'll have to go back to the, the whole clinical picture where we know for a fact that this patient is on an immune checkpoint inhibitor. This is a known complication. Um, and other things have been ruled out as well. So you still want to rule out infection. I mean, patients like this obviously um, have compromised immune systems and you want to make sure that you're not you know, actually dealing with a pneumonia, a bacterial pneumonia or viral pneumonia. Um, so all those tests need to be done as well. And, but uh, we, it, you shouldn't wait too long to initiate the steroids. 
uh, worrying that this could you know, lead to sepsis. In fact, if there's concern of an in, uh, superimposed infection at the same time, then you'd want to start antibiotics and the steroids at the same time, um, making sure that you take care of uh, the IRAE that's potentially there. So that's probably how I would approach a patient like this. Um, Thank you. And Deborah, you, you spoke nicely about the steroid recommendations for pneumonitis. J just enlarge on that a bit. H how long do you treat for? And, and what if the steroids aren't working very well? Wh where do you go next? Absolutely. So, so these patients, unfortunately, our patients with bladder cancer are generally elderly. They're generally smokers. They generally have COPD and other comorbidities. So as Dr. Ravi mentioned, making that distinction between pneumonitis and infection is really, really important. We don't want to miss an underlying infection and these patients can have both. So uh, sometimes um, we would want to have a bronchoscopic analysis, sometimes with a transbronchial biopsy to look for uh, the cause, to look for a lavage, to look for any infection uh, going on as well. And on the biopsy, we may see infiltrating immune cells um, very strongly in patients with pneumonitis. So that can help us make the diagnosis and help us to rule out infection, or if there is infection there, we can treat that promptly. Um, in terms of the steroid doses, we outlined before the steroid doses for different grades and the more severe, um, of course, uh, the higher the dose of steroids. And what I would normally do in someone who's, who is very um, clinically well, I would start off with a sort of pulse of three days and then, then start uh, tapering. Um, if a patient is really getting sicker despite high dose steroids, then we need to think about other ways to, um, to um, really uh, take advantage of the immunosuppression uh, because it's a cascade. Um, and actually we have learned a lot through dealing with COVID. So COVID-19 has, is, is, this is the problem with COVID-19. It's not the virus itself, but it's all the inflammatory okay. immune reaction in the lungs. Um, so actually this has really helped us to, um, you know, our thinking about how to deal with a sort of an activated immune pneumonitis. And there are many other um, categories of medications that we might need, but at this point we need expert help. Um, so um, these are patients who really are in trouble. They often have other comorbidities as well. Um, but the majority of patients, as we mentioned, it's very rare to even get a grade three pneumonitis. And the majority of those patients will settle down within three days of their high dose steroids. Um, and if they don't, and we should have our uh, pulmonary colleagues on board at the time, we should be thinking about bronchoscopies, lavage, covering infection, and then other immune system um, uh, medications altering medications that can actually help um, to settle things down if the high-dose steroids are not working. Thank you. And lastly, Ravi, um, let's say the steroids work really well in our patient and, and uh, there's rapid improvement. Would you consider restarting maintenance of Elumab in that setting? Oh, that's a very interesting question, uh, Rob, because um, it will depend a lot on the comfort level of the treating oncologist and what other treatment options or alternatives the patient has. So in a situation like this, uh, because this is still uh, part of the first line treatment that, that patients are undergoing, um, and since it was a grade three IRAE, uh, AE, I would be very cautious and 
in my personal experience, uh, I've not actually re-challenged any of these patients whom I've seen, um, not specifically from Evolumab grade three pneumonitis, but other you know, immune checkpoint inhibitors for the concern that if this were to recur, it may be even more severe and I'll be really concerned um, about taking those kind of risks. And uh, at this point in time, the patient has a number of other options that she can consider, including getting FGFR testing done. Um, although the, the chance of finding an FGFR alteration is not very high, it's about in the range of 15 to 20%, but that will present as an option that patient can consider. We also have the antibody drug conjugates. Um, we have other chemotherapeutic options and of course, clinical trials. So there's still a number of options that patient can consider should, should we decide you know, not to re-challenge. Hence, um, I would not actually take the risk of re-challenging uh, this patient uh, because it was a grade three AE. Well, thank you, Deborah and Ravi for this great discussion. And thank you for listening to this program brought to you by Ace Oncology. Mm -hmm.